0: you need indeed
1: hello everyone and welcome to the spurs up show the best game cox podcast on the internet today is thursday october the 8th 2020 on today's show I break down Saturday's game, give my full preview for the Gamecocks game as South Carolina travels to Nashville looking to get their first win of the season against the Vanderbilt Commodores. I will give my full Vanderbilt breakdown, top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys the game, much, much more there as well. Also, your listener questions and voicemails, and we have a fantastic interview. You've probably heard him on ESPN covering the College World Series, Major League Baseball, Little League World Series, Kyle Peterson, very well-known college baseball analyst. He played his college baseball at Stanford as well. But honestly, one of my favorite play-by-play guys, one of my favorite people to hear talk. He joins me to talk some college baseball, also talk about his career throughout playing in media. We do touch on the Gamecocks and the SEC a fantastic conversation, honestly, guys. One of those, one of those interviews that you sit back and you're like, "Wow!" So Kyle Peterson of ESPN he joins the show. We got a packed show today, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at My Bookie, guys. We're in peak sports season right now. Like I told you guys, we got post seasons for every sport going on. All of our football take right now. It feels good that sports are where they are and they're back right now. And at My Bookie. That can only mean one thing. It is winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contest, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season's all about your chance to win big. Guys, you can bet everything. Bet the NBA Finals. You can bet Major League Baseball playoffs, UFC, college football, NFL. Whatever it may be, anything and everything, is going to have it. The craziest sports time of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's Live Betting. Guys, you guys are smart. Put that big brand of yours to good use. Go to mybookie.ag. That's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Gamecocks and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. So, guys, you put in $500, they're going to give you $500. You put in $1,000, they are going to give you 1000 And like they said, guys, it's a free play. So, if you put that money on whatever game it is, you lose, guess what, doesn't hit your account. You win it, you get the money. It's a win-win. It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross sports wagers, props and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Guys, again, that's mybookie.ag promo code Gamecox. Mybookie.ag promo code Gamecox. Your winning season begins today, only at mybookie. Let's get it. guys? I'm Chris Phillips here with the Spurs Up show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have a packed show as we officially break down Saturday's game. Carolina Vanderbilt Gamecocks traveling to Nashville looking for their first win of the 2020 football season. Going to dive into that, obviously, breakdown, Vandy, um, for what should be a very intriguing game, exciting game, and hopefully a good one for the good guys. A lot to get into also, as I mentioned earlier, a fantastic interview. One of those interviews, and I posted this kind of on social media, but one of those interviews you sit back and you're like, Wow, this is this is crazy. This is awesome. This is surreal. Kyle Peterson, a guy who, you know, I'm a baseball guy. You guys know that I love baseball, and I, I've watched and listened to Kyle Peterson forever, it feels like. And one of the best in the business. Fantastic conversation. A lot to get into, guys. Hope you're all having a fantastic week here on a Thursday. I know I am. It's kind of warmed up a little bit in the city, but it's still October. We're counting down to Halloween, I guess, whatever it is, if you're a big Halloween person. But, uh, no, very excited to talk some Gamecocks football and break down the Vanderbilt Commodores. Before we get into everything really quickly, a couple of housekeeping items. As always, if you have not done so, take five seconds out of your day, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever platform it might be. Take five seconds, go leave a five star review, leave your thoughts, your feedback. If there's things you like, things you don't like, uh, things you want to hear more of, less of, whatever it may be, guys, it helps people find the podcast, helps boost up the show. Trying to hit 500 reviews by the end of the season. We're at 320 right now. I want to hit 500 by end of the season. So if you haven't done so, take five seconds again. Leave a five star review if you want to write some feedback. That's fantastic. If not, whatever. Just leave five stars. Also, if you're tuned in and you're not subscribed, make sure you hammer that subscribe button. It doesn't have to be on any of the platforms. Like I said, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever. But on social media, if you're not following, if you're on YouTube and you're hearing this, hit that subscribe button there as well. Appreciate everybody that's already done that. Obviously, so again, rate subscribe if you've done so. Thanks so much. Um, also, want to remind you guys the watch party this Saturday, Overtime Bar and Grill. Basically the same setup as last week, noon kickoff. We got the live pregame show from 11 to 1130. Post game show immediately following the game. Overtime Bar and Grill, fantastic drink and food specials. You guys come on out. It's right down the road from williams Bryce Stadium. I have all the details on social media in the graphics that you guys have already probably seen. So again, if you're in the city, you need a spot to watch the game. You don't just want to sit at home and watch on your TV. Overtime Bar and Grill is, is a fantastic venue. Great specials, great people as well. We've been having a blast there. I, I know I, I'm really enjoying getting out, of, getting out of the house and watching it there as well. So, you guys come out, Overtime Bar and Grill. Check out the details on social media. All right, let's go ahead and dive into this. Very, very excited. Break down the Vanderbilt Commodores Gamecocks taking on the doors noon on SEC Network, Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt Stadium. The Gamecocks, like I mentioned yesterday's show, a 12 and a half point favorite over in set at 42 and a half in this one. The series history, you know, it's crazy. We mentioned this a little bit this week. No matter what, South Carolina, just for whatever reason, has had Vanderbilt's number. South Carolina leads this overall series 25-4, and and it's 11 straight wins for South Carolina. 11 straight wins. Because, I mean, you think about the ups and downs of Gamecock football, especially after Steve Spurrier left. I mean, South Carolina still, for whatever reason, there's a five-game losing streak in there to Kentucky. The Gamecocks have just found a way to, every single year and you think back to there were some good Vanderbilt teams you know I think back to James Franklin his Vanderbilt teams South Carolina was still able to get those wins there were some close games I think a 2011 specifically South Carolina opening I think it was yeah 2011 They opened the road or excuse me was it 2000 it was 12 2012 South Carolina opened up in Nashville was a really close game I think it was a one score game but either way the Gamecocks have found a way to win 11 straight. They'll look to make it 12 straight against Vandy this Saturday. Last time they met last year, obviously, the Gamecocks won 24-7. to And what was a bit of a defensive slugfest? You know, Gamecocks were, were breaking in Ryan Helensky. And I remember I was at that game, and I think Vandy actually scored first in that one. Um, but South Carolina won that game 24-7. to As far as an injury report, obviously, I'm going to stop doing these because Will Muschamp's not letting us know anything about injuries. But obviously, again, Sherrod Green's still out. He'll be out four to six weeks, so no new news There, breaking down the Vanderbilt Commodores, their head coach, Derek Mason, in his seventh year, is he filling the hot seat a little bit? Um, I think things are obviously a little bit different. They're different for South Carolina. They're going to be different for Vanderbilt as well because of the coronavirus pandemic, of the economic impact of everything. And Derek Mason in a school like Vandy that I don't think is actually, you know, really going to jump to make a head coaching change. I, I don't think you have the fan pressure or anything like that at a school like Vandy where, let's just face it, the expectations are so low, but... He is in his seventh season at Vanderbilt. Um, the Doors right now, 0-2 on the season. A mixed bag for them so far. A five-point loss in week one to Texas A&M, which was very, very surprising. I mean, I thought A&M was just going to blow out Vandy. And Vandy, credit to them, was able to make it close. Second week, they came back to reality a little bit. In Nashville, blown out by LSU 41-7. to Here's a key stat for you, by the way, about Vandy before we dive into the top storylines. They are averaging just 9.5 points per game. They are struggling, and I mean struggling offensively. Lost their top running back, lost their top wide receiver, and, oh, by the way, they're starting a true freshman quarterback. Um, So, offensively, things have been very rough. Like I said, you have that five-point loss week one to A&M. You get blown out week two to LSU. Which team are they? That first week, that second week, or somewhere in between – We're going to get those answers this week, and we'll start with the top storylines. I want to start in the Gamecocks backfield. You know, I talked a lot about him after the Florida game and the emergence of a true number one running back. Kevin Harris, his development as the number one running back, I think, is something to follow and is a top storyline in this game. And it also feeds into South Carolina's offense, which I really don't have a ton of complaints about the offense as a whole through two weeks. Now I've been pe- pleasantly surprised at some positions. Some positions have played out exactly like I thought. Like the wide receivers, we knew that was going to be an issue this year. We knew that South Carolina was going to have to find some weapons outside of Shy Smith. You thought you might have some capable guys in the backfield. Kevin Harris really showed you. I thought, you know, after one week, you know, you saw Harris, you saw White, you saw Fenwick. We-, we figured, okay, we're going to see all three play. I thought you saw last week, and I know nobody would debate this, Kevin Harris really emerged himself as the true number one running back out of this group. I mean, listen, it's just one week. You don't want to overreact, but I thought Kevin Harris showed you some things. He's a very tough, physical kid. He runs really, really hard. He runs through arm tackles. And most of the time, the first guy is not going to get him down. So I'm excited to continue to see Kevin Harris's development as the number one back, because, you know, I'd love to see him get the ball 20, 25 times this game, at least. Um, I think he's that type of player He Reminds me a lot. I said this earlier this week. Reminds me a lot of Mike Davis as far as running the football game. Very tough, very physical. But like I said, it kind of goes in conjunction, not just Kevin Harris's development as the number one back, but this offense sort of establishing a true identity, which I say that and it's pretty impressive that South Carolina has been able to do what they've done offensively without, you know, I don't want to say they don't have an identity per se, but I think this offense has kind of been feeling itself out the first two weeks. You know I mean? Hey, what are we good at? What do we like to do? And I think you've seen that with, and I think that's been steadied because of the steady hand of Colin Hill, him being a veteran. It's made that transition much, much easier. But I think this, this week is going to provide a great opportunity because listen, Vanderbilt has question marks. The, The strength quote unquote of their team is going to be their defense. They're very experienced they returned 11 guys who started on that defense from a year ago. Um, but listen, southcon I feel like it's a matchup. They should be able to win as far as in the trenches. I think this opportunity provides a fantastic – or this week, excuse me, provides a fantastic opportunity to establish a bit of an identity. You know, establish that ground game. Because like I said to you guys before, I don't think the Gamecocks won a football game this year where they don't rush for over 100 yards. The running game is going to be very, very, very important as we go throughout this season – And Kevin Harris, when you see the type of performance he gave you against a team like Florida, you feel like you're going to be able to get in the ball a bunch this week and he's going to have some success. I'm very excited to watch this evolve and how Kevin Harris evolves as far as being a dynamic playmaker in this offense for South Carolina. Because again, if, if they're going to build some momentum and turn this thing around and get this season going, I feel like a guy like Kevin Harris is going to have to be one of those focal points. So again, One of my top storylines, Kevin Harris's development as RB1, establishing an identity. I think this is a good week to get Kevin Harris a bunch of touches, establish that running game, establish yourself as a team. Hey, this is what we like to do. This is what we're going to try to do, especially how you've been great on the opening drives. But continuing to establish an identity and a rhythm and and just get things going as an offense, because, again, obvious statement, but offensively, you're going to have to continue to get better as you go throughout this 2020 season if you're going to turn things around. My second top storyline, you know, I was going to make this a focus on the wide receivers, but I'm going to make kind of a blanket statement. Just new players, new playmakers, excuse me, stepping up in this one. You know, obviously, we all know it's Shy Smith. Shy Smith and who? But who else? And, and that's really going to be a top storyline until that next guy emerges himself. You know, again, I just talked about Kevin Harris. I think definitely he is your true number one running back now, but who else steps up? I mean, you saw last week with the wide receivers, with the drops, there were so many plays. I thought Southcon actually looking back, they gave other guys opportunities to make plays. And for whatever reason, just can't catch the football, can't come down with that big catch, can't make that big play. You know, so I think it'll be interesting because, again, I, I talk about Vanderbilt, you know, I feel like they're a team you should beat. You should be better than them. You are better than them. And this is an opportunity to maybe get some guys the ball who don't normally touch the football or at least who haven't touched it for, through the first two weeks of the season. You know, maybe a guy like Rico Powers. Maybe a guy like Dracari Cole. Hey, maybe you actually get Luke Doty on the field this week. Maybe the carry-on joiner finally touches the football. I think that's something you need to do because, again, as an offense, you need to continue to develop. Who are going to be those new playmakers who step up for you? Who is going to be those guys that are going to help out Colin Hill on the offensive side? Because, again, what's crazy to me Again, South Carolina's offense, it's not like they've been like a well-oiled machine or anything. I'm not trying to make it sound like South Carolina just has no issues offensively. But it's kind of crazy to think about how good South Carolina's been offensively with one guy. They have one playmaker. They have one true playmaker, and his name is Shai Smith. So if you can start to find some other pieces, develop some confidence in some other guys, maybe it's Leggett. Maybe, like I said, maybe it's Powers, maybe it's Caldwell. Maybe we finally get to see Doty and Joyner on the field. Maybe it's Josh Van. I don't know. But maybe you finally get to develop some confidence in those guys, which is only going to help you as you go throughout the season. So I think this week is a great opportunity to do that. Which playmakers step up? Because, again, you're just not going to be able to make a living this season force-feeding it to Shy Smith. I know I was wrong last week because I said there's no way Shy Smith gets 10 catches. Well, he didn't. He got 12. Good job, Chris. Good call. But at some point, there's going to be a big key situation. Shaw Smith's going to be taken away, or he's not going to be on the field. Who's going to be that guy that steps up? We maybe will get those answers starting this week. Another top storyline for me, listen, it's been a rough two weeks for the South kind of defense. And I've I've been as hard as anybody on them. The secondary, obviously, the secondary play, but the play of the defense as a whole, I've been tough on them. And it's and it's been, I feel like more so on the coaching side, because I feel like, listen, South Carolina has talented players on that defense. No question. You cannot look at that Gamecocks defense and think anything other than there is talent on the field for this team. There's talent over the defense. But your first two weeks, you open up with Tennessee and you open up with Florida. Tennessee and Florida back-to-back. Florida, probably the best offense you're going to play all season long and Tennessee, a team that, you know, I wanted to see more. Obviously, not getting the ball off Jarrett Garantano was a huge disappointment, but whatever. Two very capable offenses, and one of them, again, Florida, I think probably the best offense you play all season. Is this going to be taking on Vanderbilt? Will this be, can this be a confidence-building week for this defense? Again, this team has has been weathered as far as facing Tennessee and Florida to, I would say, above-average football teams, especially Florida, especially Florida. Now you kind of get some relief, if you will. I think this, team, this whole team as a whole gets some relief, But certainly this defense, again, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're facing a Vanderbilt offense that is averaging 9.5 points per game. 9.5 points per game. You're facing a Vanderbilt offense that has scored two touchdowns. They've scored two touchdowns in two games. So this defense, I feel like, has an opportunity. It's a confidence-building week for the defense. Like I said, they've been beat up. They've been battered. They've been bruised. They've had to go against some fantastic players on the offensive side for the opponent. Now you get the opportunity of Vanderbilt offense that's struggling, that's reeling, has a true freshman quarterback. Again, I think it's going to be there for this team to make big plays. You're going to have the opportunity to make big plays all across the board, especially defensively. Can they do it? Again, I, I think you can start to build some confidence, pull some positives, if nothing else, to have some positives for this team. To have some positives, again, going up again against the Vanderbilt offense that has struggled mightily. They have struggled mightily. They lost their top runner. They lost their top receiver. They've got a freshman quarterback. Kick them while they're down. They're wounded. They're hurting. They're not doing well offensively. Don't be the defense that lets up and lets Vandy get in a groove and let them build confidence offensively. No, no, no. You put your foot on their throat. They're down. They're beaten. They're battered. They're bruised. I want to see a Gamecocks defense. Take advantage this weekend in Nashville. My other top storyline, we got to talk about Will Muschamp. Of course, of course, we have to talk about Will Muschamp and everything going on right now, all the turmoil. You know, I would say the majority of the fan base, even those who were supporting him coming in the season, the majority of the fan base is flipped. They all want him fired. Fire Will Muschamp. You guys know my feelings on it. But my question simply is this. Because, listen, I think most people, most people – are going to be expecting South Carolina to win this football game. Bottom line, they're going to be expecting Carolina to get this win. I just wonder because I, I, I've talked about, it, I've, I've, I've used the word opportunity a lot. And the reason I'm saying that is I do feel like this is a chance for this game, Cox football team, to get a big win and to build some confidence, build some momentum. And I hate to say turn around this season because a win over Vanderbilt's not going to turn around the season, but at least internally have something to feel good about. But I just wonder with Will Muschamp, and again, I'm not sure that any type of win would do this, but I wonder what type of win does Will Muschamp and this really the staff need to sort of cool the heat just a little bit, just a little bit. Because, again, I think style points matter in a game like this for this South Carolina team. You go out and you beat Vanderbilt by a touchdown, people are going to be losing their minds. I'm going to be losing my mind. I'm going to be losing my mind. A a field goal or touchdown win does nothing for you. It does nothing for your psyche. Again, they can say all they want about, you know, everything's kept in house and they they don't listen to the noise. You can hear the noise. These guys are all on social media. They see all the comments. They hear it all. If you're Will Muschamp and you're that staff and and you know what's being said about you, you, you know it, you would certainly think, you're going to want to make it a point this week to get as big a win as possible, to, like, to get a dominating win, to have a dominating performance. I wonder, is there just is there any type of win that can cool the heat just a degree even for Will Muschamp? Like if we see a team go out there and win 31 to nothing, does that at least pull the fans off of Will Muschamp's back for a week? I say most likely not, but, but I just think really my, my point being This team needs to win with style. Like, this team needs to go out there and flex that it is the better team. This team needs to go out there and impose their will, as my good friend friend Alex McGrath said. This team needs to go impose their will on its opponent. Because I said it on social media. Hey, trying to maybe spin things into a positive. You know, maybe Tennessee and Florida are elite. And maybe South Carolina went toe-to-toe and held their own with two really, really, really good football teams. Maybe that's the case. But if that is the case, then you have to go out there and dominate, and I mean dominate, Vanderbilt. If you're going to try to convince me that's what it was, if you're Will Muschamp, because it seems like he likes to do this in postgame pressers or just pressers in general. He loves to throw out stats, and he's kind of a defensive guy in those pressers. But if you want to try to tell me that, hey, this is a really good football team, we face two really, really good opponents, okay, I'll, I'll maybe buy that from you. But I won't buy that if you go out there and win by a field goal. I won't buy that if you go out there and win by a touchdown. You need to go out there and pose your will and be dominant. You have to do so. So I think the way South Carolina wins is just as important for Will Muschamp, this staff, and this team. It's just as important, if not more important, than if they win, if that makes sense. Last storyline really quickly, and we'll get to key matchups. My final storyline here, and I kind of already mentioned it, is just the fact... This team has the opportunity to get a big momentum building win. Again, nobody, certainly not me, even, just because you beat Vandy, it's not going to make me all of a sudden switch up and say, oh man, like, you know, this season, all of a sudden, Carolina's going to go win five or six games. It's it's not going to make me do it. But football and sports in general are, are based off momentum. You know, momentum is so key. It's so important to have positive Mo on your side. You know, you say, have Mo in the dugout. We got to have Mo in our dugout. Uncle Mo. Uncle Mo in the dugout. And, you know, this weekend, again, you're facing a team you should beat. Bottom line, let's just call a spade a spade. You're facing a team you should beat. And you do have the chance to do that, to get that big win. Um, like I just said, I think the way you win is just as if not more important than if you win. Because like I said, if you win by a field goal, you win by a touchdown, it does nothing for you, in my opinion. It doesn't. You're going to go into Auburn week, the following week, with just as many, if not more questions than you had entering the game. I'm really excited to see how this team responds as well. How, How do they respond? Do they come out? Because here's the thing. I've as much criticism as I've given Will Muschamp and I, you know, you guys know how I feel about it. The one thing you've never had to worry about, about Will Muschamp and South Carolina teams under Will Muschamp, his players love him. I I don't expect to see a team that's going to quit on their head coach. I don't expect to see a team that has mailed it in. That's cashed it in. There's still a lot to play for. I mean, that's an obvious statement, but there's still a lot to play for. So I'm intrigued to see how does South Carolina come out? Because I'm expecting a group that's fired up. That's ready to go. That's excited to, again, really impose their will, to take out their frustrations on a Vanderbilt team that, you know, I would hope going in, they know they're better than, really. So the opportunity is there to get that big momentum-shifting win, and if nothing else, give yourself something to feel good about going into what will be a pivotal game week against the Auburn Tigers. Let's go into our key matchups to watch, key matchups to watch, starting with, Defensive back JC Horn against wide receiver Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson, their leading receiver right now, 84 yards receiving on the year. That is their leading receiver, by the way, does not have a touchdown. But again, you're looking at matchups where South kind can win to make it as tough as possible on Vandy. JC Horn, I fully expect to win this matchup. You're going to make your, your goal is to make life hard on that freshman quarterback. Quarterback Ken Seals, um, mixed bag for him. Obviously, again, that offense is struggling. As a whole, you take away his lead option, his lead receiver option, it's gonna make life just that much tougher on Vandy. So again, that's my first match at defensive back JC Horn against wide receiver Cam Johnson. JC Horn, can he do what he does best? I expect him to do so. And if he can do that, it's going to make it a very, 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 very long day for Ken Seals. My second key match in this game, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Demetri Moore. Dimitri Moore, a very solid player for Vandy on that defense. He was actually top 10 in the SEC in tackles a year ago. I talked a little bit earlier about Kevin Harris, the importance of him in this offense, establishing him, getting him a bunch of carries. I want to see him touch the ball 20, 25 times this game. Really. I mean, I want to see Kevin Harris get the football. I mean, I thought they could have given him to him more in Gainesville, to be honest, last weekend. So Kevin Harris against Dimitri Moore, getting the running game going, I think is going to be super important because again, I think this is going to be a game where both teams are going to try to run the football. And again, that might be a given, but both teams are going to try to run the football. South Ghana, by the way, has been extremely good I think they're like fourth in the country in time of possession. So South Carolina is winning the time of possession battle. I think it's as far as just grinding out a W against Vandy, grinding it out, grinding it out. Kevin Harris will be a big part of that. So again, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Dimitri Moore, my second key match. And then my final key matchup for this football game, linebacker Ernest Jones, a guy I have not talked about a ton this season, linebacker Ernest Jones against running back Javion Marlowe. That's the one area that Vandy has had some success in Javion Marlowe, averaging 4.48 yards per carry, averaging 74 yards per game. I believe it is. They have two backs right now. They're splitting carriers, but Marlowe has shown the ability to break it. He, He has shown the ability to explode for big plays and South Carolina obviously has to limit the explosives. The linebacker core, you know, especially with the injury to Sherrod green has been shaky. It's It's been shaky. The linebacker, and I don't know why. I don't know why this is that ever since Will Muschamp has taken over, the linebackers have been a liability. I don't know what it is. Ernest Jones, though, I, I don't feel like, and I know he's coming off of that hernia or whatever. He had that injury. I don't feel like we've seen that big-time game from Ernest Jones, and I, I just wonder when it's going to come because we're talking about a guy that led South Carolina in tackles a year ago, was one of their best defenders by far. I mean, a preseason All-SEC guy. So, I'm really excited to see Ernest Jones because, again, Vandy's going to try to take the pressure off their freshman quarterback. There's no question about that. Ernest Jones against Javion Marlowe, I think, will be a very, very fun matchup to watch as Ernest Jones tries to nip that Vandy running game in the bud. So, again, key matches to watch. Defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Cam Johnson, running back Kevin Harris against linebacker Demetri Moore, and the final one, linebacker Ernest Jones against running back Javion Marlowe. Let's get into our keys to the game. My three. Key's the game. And again, I've been talking about it all show. My number one key, feed Kevin Harris. Feed Kevin Harris. I like this Gamecocks offensive line. Listen, the Vandy defense, they return a lot, but that doesn't make them good. They gave up 31.8 points per game last season. Rushing-wise, they gave up 208 yards per game. You should be able to run the football in this one. You should be able to move people around. You saw the Gamecocks offensive line, I thought, take a major jump from week one to week two. They looked really good. Feed Kevin Kevin Harris. I expect him to be the hot hand. I expect him to have a huge day against Vandy. Give him the football, and I think good things are going to happen for the South Carolina offense. My second key to the game: attack the freshman quarterback, Ken Seals, the true freshman. He's played some good defenses already from Texas A&M and LSU. Again, when you've got your foot on their throat, keep it there. Keep it there. Hit after this freshman quarterback. I, I think this is a week you could see this South Carolina defense, again, like I said earlier, building some confidence, building some momentum. I think you could see them get two, three, maybe even four turnovers off this Vanderbilt offense. The true freshman, he's got his work cut out for him. The Gamecocks, I think, listen, I, I've been super tough on them. They're much better than what they showed last week. At least I want to believe so. And maybe, like I said, this is a week that South Carolina, secondary especially, but the defense as a whole, can start to get back some confidence, some, some momentum. And it's all going to start with South Carolina getting after Ken Seals. Guys like Pickens, guys like Birch, guys like Sterling, and Ibarre. Get in his face. It's going to be a long, fun afternoon for this Gamecocks defense. And my final key to the game in this one. You know, South Carolina has started their first two games off beautifully. You know, the, the opening drives of the game, they have started those off fantastic. You know, go right down the field, 11 plays, boom, touchdown get up ahead, get out set, get out front seven or nothing. I talked about in this one, because I'll go ahead and tell you guys, you know, I'm going to save my prediction for tomorrow, but I'll just tell you guys, I think South Carolina is either going to win this game by two touchdowns or more, or they're going to lose. I, I don't see South Carolina winning a close game in this one. I, I really don't. So my final key to the game, get ahead and stay ahead. When you have a team like Vanderbilt, with that, I, I'll just go out and say, go out on a limb, you're better than them. You have more talent than them. There's no question in my mind. You are the better football team, okay? Don't give a team like Vanderbilt any glimmer of hope because you let them hang around, hang around, hang around. All of a sudden, it's late third quarter. It's a three-point game. It's a touchdown game. It's fourth quarter. It's a touchdown game. All of a sudden, Vandy starts thinking to themselves, oh, we can win this football game. Go out there from the jump, get ahead, stay ahead, establish you are the better football team, and let's all have a fun day at the ballpark. Because, again, I think the Gamecocks are the more talented team. I think they are the better football team. But, again, college football is crazy. Upsets do happen. But I think if you can get out in front of it, get ahead, build a lead. Again, this is a Vandy team that is not built also to come from behind. Again, they have struggled so mightily offensively. They've struggled so mightily. So I think if you can get ahead, you can build a lead. You're going to put them in a really, really tough spot, which, like I said, attacking the freshman quarterback, you're going to give your defense the opportunity to make some big plays in that situation. So again, get ahead, stay ahead. My three keys to the game, once again, feed Kevin Harris, attack the freshman quarterback, and get ahead, stay ahead. Those are my three keys. All right, that is the breakdown on Vandy, guys. Looking forward to the game, obviously, Very, very excited. I will have my official prediction, like I just said, on tomorrow's show tomorrow's show, I will give my official prediction for South Carolina Vandy, but uh, definitely looking forward to the game. Like I said, definitely when we're South Gunna can exploit the Commodores and get their first win in the season. All right, really quick, don't really have news and notes to get into, but there is one thing. I want to shout out my buddy really quickly. I want to shout out my buddy, Kirk Collingsworth. Kirk Collingsworth, you probably have heard his name, USC super fan. He announced on social media, He is going to Nashville. He will be in the Marriott right across the street from the stadium, and I think he's going to be watching it from there. I just want to say, Kirk, congratulations, getting yourself out there. And you know what? That counts to me. I I think we should all say that counts, right? That counts for the streak. So the streak lives on. The streak lives on for Kirk Hollingsworth. So Kirk, just wanted to give him a quick shout-out, and I feel like that was a noteworthy piece of news, if you will. So Kirk, congratulations, my friend. Keep it on. Keep going. I think it's, what, 300 and – 36 now. This will be 336. So, Kirk, love you, brother. Keep it going. All right, let's get to your listener questions and voicemails. We will start with the voicemails here.
2: Hey, Chris. Um, I just want to talk about the end of the games. Um, so, the end of the games are just ridiculous. I mean, I didn't expect us to beat Florida, but it's kind of like Tennessee. The end of these games are so heartbreaking. Like, it's so much easier to take it if it wasn't that heartbreaking. But, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's much camp for our players, but I just can't. It's hard to root for the game cops, especially and believe in them, especially when the end of these games are ending like they are. I mean, it's unacceptable and sloppy, and you got to get better. Thanks. for the show.
1: Hey, appreciate the call, man. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely been very tough to swallow. It's it's been very very tough as far as end of game situations and just you know things that have happened. You got to get better there. But I will say, in this Vanderbilt game, if it comes down to a end of game situation, we have already lost. We have already failed. I, this this is a game, in my opinion. Again, not trying to spoil spoil my prediction for tomorrow. but This is a game that should not come down to one of those end of game situations. But I definitely understand. Trust me, I understand your frustration. It's uh. You know, it's just tough to deal with right now. It's tough to deal with, and it's a tough pill to swallow and just to see South Ghana have different opportunities and just squander them away, just piss them away, you feel like. Um, you know, not the easiest thing in the world, for sure. So, all right, let's get in this last voicemail, and then we'll get to your listener questions. Uh, first
2: off, I want to say, what a Gamecock way to start the season. 0-2, oh now you have them, and then you don't. and you really don't. and you come back a little bit. But anyways... When we had four minutes left against Florida and we were driving, I had to look at my buddy and tell him this feeling I have right now is hope. And I don't like it. Snap me out of it. But through the two losses, I do have to say I have some things I'm impressed with. And number one, it feels, it feels good to come out both games and score open and drive. That's really rare. Um, number two, I like that the offense doesn't try to force something that doesn't work. Last year, if we weren't throwing good, we'd just continue to throw it, try and force something that wasn't really there. Um, This year, you know, you see us, they take away shy at times. All right, okay, Xavier is somewhere open, or or Nick Muse, or even uh, Fenwick, surprisingly, he's kind of shown up for us. Um, If none of the passing game is there, let the big guy run it. And i tell you what, Kevin Harris is a freight truck. Somebody needs to give that man some headlights and a license plate. But um, but this defense, you know, you've got the stars and the talent. You even have some head, some highlights and games, like the one-handed snags or even Birch snatching up a couple players here and there. But overall, man, it's, in, it's inconsistent. I don't feel like there's enough pressure on the QB, and when there is, you see, like, in, uh, on Friday, Trash rolling out or the one kid slipping through five guys. It's just embarrassing. There's just, like, Appears to be an instinctual factor, like a kill switch turned off, because the aggressiveness from the secondary just is not there at all. I mean, D.J. Swanger would be and should be embarrassed by the level of softness in the weak arm tackles, open receivers' missed, the missing cues, just all over the place, inconsistency. I tell you what, if we had this offense and last year's defense, we could really be something special. Uh I take that back. I'll let you 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 answer that question, but um. You know, it just really feels like there's a there's a missing piece somewhere. Um, don't know if it's coaching, uh probably defensive coaching to be honest. Um, maybe a missing player or two. I saw that Coleman kid just decommitted from Kansas. Maybe he could help answer some of our offensive questions, but I, I don't know what it is. Hopefully you know. Um, I mean you are down there involved way more than most of us. So uh, maybe you maybe give us a little insight on that. But um Hopefully we go into Vandy, set them straight, uh, let them know. South Carolina's still here. We're still relevant. Um, yeah, man. Hope, hope the season turns out better than 0-2. Uh,
1: seems positive, but hopefully not. Go Cox. Yeah, man, appreciate the voicemail. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Uh, you make a lot of good points again, but really summing it up. There's positives, there's negatives from these first two games. Um. You know, I I just I can't help but go back to coaching, man. Because when you have the talent, you're not putting them in positions to succeed. You're not getting a chance to win at the end of the ball game. I have to go back to coaching. I have to go back to coaching. And like you said, there's talent all over this defense. And why the defense isn't performing, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. That's something I, I I can't answer really. To be honest with you. Um. So hopefully it gets fixed. I mean, like it's, like you said, you got a big you know a a. A big opportunity this weekend is build some confidence, you know, switch things around, you know, have something to feel good about, build some momentum, um, you know, so hopefully they can get it done. All right, let's get into your listener questions really quickly and wrap this thing up. Uh, e Karch 8 hired Don Staley to coach the football team. Right, okay. David underscore Barnes 76, time to see Ryan Holinsky run some routes. He can drop passes just as good as anyone else. I do not think you want to see Ryan Holinsky running routes, put it that way. Uh, TGH underscore three. This game has to be used to get players' confidence. You need to see Leggett get at least one touchdown. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I, I think you can use Saturday. Get some other guys out there. Get them the football. Let them, you know, let them build some confidence. Let them make some plays. Again, you know, you have Shy Smith. You know, you have Kem- Kevin Harris. I'd like to see the football spread around a little bit. I, I really would. Again, go to what works, obviously, but, you know, it, it would be ideal if you could get the win and you get like a Leggett a touchdown catch, Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell. Um, you know, Doty, Dak, Van, whatever. Just get other guys involved because you're going to need them down the stretch for sure. D Robes for ass. Do you think we have a chance of landing Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley? I'm going to say no on both of those. CP three underscore presents underscore Vandy has no offense. They're going to get destroyed. Champs job no longer in jeopardy, LOL. Well, the first part, maybe the second part, one, one win over Vandy is not going to cure all, uh, a hill one zero or excuse me, A hill one zero oh underscore. Do you think we will see Luke Doty this week? I certainly hope so. I, I mean, I just like to see him at this point. I just like to see him on the field, see what he can do. Whatever, um, you know, we'll see. But I'd like to see Luke Doty on the field for sure. Uh, Nathan Helm seven says twenty seven to ten South Carolina. I do like that prediction. Again, I, I'll give my official prediction tomorrow. And then last but not least, J Morton underscore like underscore the underscore salt literally dot dot dot. This better be hashtag Cox by 90. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I hear you on that. All right. Appreciate the listeners' questions, guys. Appreciate you guys all tuning in as well. Appreciate all the interactions, the feedback, whatever. Now, sit back, relax. We've got a fantastic interview, like I mentioned in the uh, intro. Kyle Peterson of ESPN, again. Really appreciate Kyle taking his time. One of those interviews that you just sit back and you're like, yo, this is awesome. This is cool. Um, We talked a little bit of everything, his career, media career, um, college baseball, South Gunners run from 10 to 12, Ray Tanner, Mark Kingston, this current team, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff, especially for the baseball junkies that tune in. So sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Guys, Southern Oaks Remodeling, locally and family owned, over 15 years of experience. They specialize in roofing, windows, door siding, and additions, and they're serving the greater Columbia area. Guys, whenever you're getting something like this done, I talked a lot before, but whenever you're getting something like this done, whether it be, you know, whatever you're getting done, remodeling a project, whatever, they're coming into your home. It's a very personal experience. And I've had the opportunity, the privilege to meet the people over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. They do a fantastic job, of course, but. The people, to me, are what really stand out. The people are what really make the difference. And again, when it's something this personal, they're coming in your home, you're having multiple interactions. They're trying to give you exactly what you want. That relationship, to me, is what really, really stands out. Again, at Southern Oaks Remodeling, they're locally and family-owned over 15 years of experience. Again, whatever you need. They'll do a little bit of everything, but roofing, windows, doors, siding, additions, whatever the project whatever the project is, guys. Maybe you're wanting to do that thing you've been putting off, getting that kitchen redone, or maybe it's a back porch, or may- whatever. Maybe it's roofing. You want to do something for the holidays. Call up the folks at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Make sure you hit them up again. Serving the greater Columbia area. If you are in the greater Columbia area, make sure you contact them again. That's Southern Oaks Remodeling. Southern Oaks Remodeling. Make sure you tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you, and we appreciate Southern Oaks Remodeling. All right, guys. Enjoy this interview with Kyle Peterson of ESPN. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, very, very special guest. Just to give you guys some background, he played his college baseball at Stanford, was the 13th overall pick in the 1997 MLB draft, made his major league debut in 97 with the Milwaukee Brewers and retired in 2002. After that, he joined ESPN and has since covered the College World Series, Little League World Series, Major League Baseball, even a little bit of Korean baseball over the pandemic. But you guys best know him from his time covering the College World Series. He's now working on ESPN Radio. He's with the SEC Network. One of the best in the business. I'm very pleased to be joined by Kyle Peterson. Kyle, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on.
3: Yeah, no, it's nice to be thinking college baseball again. So it's Mm -hmm. good to be here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say something real quick. 99 was actually your major league debut with Milwaukee, which leads me kind of where I want to start because we're going to talk college baseball, Carolina baseball. But I want to kind of go back for you, talk a little bit about your baseball career as a whole. Again, obviously you played college ball at Stanford, which is a fantastic program. You're the 13th overall pick you play in the majors, just kind of talk about, you know, break down your, your career in college baseball and then professional baseball and some of the successes that you had.
3: Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, I grew up mobile it and it was a time that there wasn't, you know, prep baseball report and perfect game and all these showcase events across the country. There was the Olympic festival and there was the area code games The area code games were legitimately the area code games in California. Um, And so you kind of had to recruit yourself sometime. So I sent letters to about 80 different schools across the country. And a lot of them, I didn't even know where the hell they were just, and it had, I mean, here's who I am and here's what I've done baseball wise and here's what I've done in school. And, and then I figured out what the long distance code was at our high school. And in my off period, I'd go down to the training room and I'd call all these coaches across the country and try to recruit myself. Um, and about three weeks later, there was a big printout outside the teacher's lounge. And it had about 31 phone calls highlighted. And it just said, who made these calls? <laughs> and then it was Stanford, California, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, I was calling as many as I could mm. and ended up getting a few people interested. And my arm jumped a little bit when I was in high school. Stanford was a cool fit. And it was a crazy time to be there because um, I remember my freshman year, these guys came through the dorm and they're like, hey we started this thing called a search engine and if you find websites that aren't on our search engine, we'll pay you five bucks. And I mean, I was the idiot that had snuck a keg into my room and that was still in there. So the (laughs) fact that I had no idea what the search engine was and that could have been life-changing if I simply would have said yes. Um, But I mean, Tiger was a freshman and Reese Witherspoon was a freshman and the world was changing you know, 10 miles around us, and, and I was this kid from Nebraska, like, man, I'm just trying to figure out how to get to class, if I'm even going to end up in class today, um, it changed my life, it was a totally different place than Omaha, thankfully, uh, I was exposed to a lot of things I'd never been exposed to, and, and um, met some of the greatest people that I've ever been around, and then baseball jumped, and we ended up coming to Omaha twice, and never won the thing. In my senior year, my last high school game was on Rosenblatt. I got beat in the state quarterfinals by Omaha Westside. And a year later, I'm pitching against Clemson in an elimination game. <laughs> um, and thankfully, that one went a little bit better than my start against Westside the year before. <laughs> and then got drafted on Rosenblatt. Uh, I was the 13th pick in the draft in 97, where it was, we were taking batting practice against Auburn when the draft was going on and literally got drafted doing the bucket during batting practice on, on the field at Rosenblatt. <laughs> um we got to big leagues fairly quick and, and, and then I got hurt yeah. and I was a right hander that had three shoulder surgeries and I couldn't run and I couldn't hit and right handers throwing 81 after you've got three shoulder surgeries, right. they don't pay you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hell in the beer league, they might not even let you come out. So some of them, <laughs> so, so it was time to do something else. And thankfully my agent was Scott Boris when I played and Scott made a few calls and, um, ESPN gave me a shot. We were doing Super Regionals for the first time. It was on uh, pay-per-view, so nobody was watching. And I went out and did Stanford, Long Beach State when uh, Jared Weaver was there. And thought I was gonna do three games. I had taken a job. I was gonna trade bonds for a group in mm. in Minneapolis. And uh, I never started it. I went out to do three games and and that was 18 years ago. And it's it's been cool seeing just mm the change in the college game, the change in the media industry, everything in the last 18 years has been pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, it has been nuts. I was going to ask you, you know, obviously you went from on the field to, and like I said, it kind of sounds like it was something that just kind of came together, and obviously here we are 18 years later. But did you ever have a hunch that maybe, like, this was going to be your career path? Did you ever feel like it'd be something you'd be good at? Because, I mean, obviously, when when I listen to you, like, you know, watch and listen to you cover the game, the thing that jumps out to me is that, it's it's evident you played, you love the game of baseball and, and you you understand the intricacies and the inner workings, things that are going on in the minds of guys and on the field that the, the normal fan does not see or maybe understand, or maybe even just take the time to notice. But was it something as far as getting into media, covering baseball, you know, with ESPN, all that you've done, were you surprised how good you were at it? Did you Did you think that it was something maybe while you were playing that, hey, this is something I could do or like, you know, what were your thoughts when you kind of jumped into it?
3: You know, um, I, I didn't. So I never thought it would be a career. It was always something that I, I thought would be really cool to do. But my mind never got past, hey, that'd be really cool to do. And even when I was in high school, my buddy Ben Fogarty and I, Ben ended up playing Division One baseball at Creighton, Wichita State. Mm. I mean, we had all of Bobby Euchre's lines from Major League memorized. <laughs> and lord knows there's a lot of dead time in baseball and and we'd sit on the bench and we'd call the game like we were Yuke, um and i was a braves fan growing up because in omaha i mean you either get the braves on tbs you get the cubs on wgn or you get the mets on wr like those were the three we got we didn't get that many royals games at that time and my dad was a milwaukee braves fan years ago and and so i was a braves fan and and watching skip Carey and Pete Van Weren and all those guys growing up like that that was I don't know I it will always
1: those were legends for sure
3: well and and I don't know why um I think we all have things like this in our life that that certain things you you just you're drawn to from an interest standpoint and I was always interested in the cadence and how it sounded and Mm. those that I liked best and um, I still am. I mean, it's one of the – I get to work with John Chompey this week on radio. And Boog, to me, is as good a baseball guy as there is in the game from a play-by-play standpoint. And, man, we sat for four hours last night and saw the Padres use nine pitchers. And I don't remember how many the Dodgers used. And it was as much fun as I could possibly have doing a baseball game. Four hours before that, I was sitting with Dave O'Brien. And, and you know, we were doing the, the A's and the Astros. Um, I got to call two major league playoff games yesterday on the radio and, and it was an unbelievable day, but it, it goes back to listening to Denny Matthews do radio for the Royals growing up. My dad always had the Royals on when we were in the car. And I, I was always drawn to like the real radio call. Cause I think that the radio broadcast and I had never done a radio game until yesterday. So I was really looking forward to it, but the best radio broadcasters they have to describe because you can't see it on TV. At least you can see it. Um, so way long-winded answer of, for whatever reason, my brain always went to paying attention to that. Now I didn't take it to think it would be anything more than that, but I was always interested in it.
1: No, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you, cause again, you, you've covered a lot college world series, super, you know, all, all post of college baseball, little league world series, like I said, major league baseball. Now you're doing MLB playoffs and ESPN radio you even dipped your toe in, like I said, the Korean baseball over the, uh, the pandemic, which is, you know, I woke up a couple of times when you guys were on TV, and that those were games were pretty fun to watch. Obviously, we were all just starving for sports, and, you know, we had that on. What's been, Uh, I mean, what's been, are there any of those that stand out? It's been like your favorite things to cover, because I, I know you're a college baseball guy, because you're always on as far as the College World Series, and, and the College World Series is just, you know, obviously, I can imagine, again, you growing up in Omaha. It's got to hold a really special place in your heart, but. Would it be that, is it something else that stands out as maybe, you know, not putting shade on anything else, but maybe something that just stands out as far as your favorite thing, favorite games to call, favorite events to cover, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, there's been a few. I mean, College World Series, Little League World Series are two really unbelievable events, and I'm, you know, I'm biased to the College World Series, having grown up there and mm-hmm. played in it. But at the end of the day, whether none of those had happened, it's still it's an incredible event every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Little League World Series is the same way. Little League World Series has. A little bit more of the carnival approach that, well, honestly, that the College World Series used to have when it was at Rosenblatt. Um, but those that stick out, um, you know, years ago, I think it was probably 04, um, I got to do a playoff series with Chris Berman and Tony Gwen. Mm-hmm. And I was doing sidelines and Boomer was doing play-by-play and obviously Tony was the analyst and I got to hang out with those guys for five straight days. And that was pretty cool. Um, just to hear the way that Tony saw the game. And obviously, I mean, Boomer's an icon in this business and mm. one of the more recognizable guys mm. that has ever put a headset on. Um, in 03, the first year that I, that I did it, uh, I was doing some major league games, and it was me and Buck Martinez and uh, Bob Carpenter, who now does the Nationals. And I didn't know what I was doing. We're doing a Marlins game and the Marlins are going to clinch to go to the postseason that year. And they look at me in the eighth inning and they said, Hey, you're going to go down to the field and we're going to come to you after the game to do interviews. And I looked at him like, what in the world are you doing? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I go down on the field and they gave me an earpiece and a microphone and you wing it and you go find Jack McKean who's smoking a cigar and you go find whoever else and whoever else. And that's what you did. Um, but one, and it's not just because I'm on with you, um, but I was sitting in the first base dugout when Whit Merrifield got the hit down the right field line mm. that ultimately was the last college hit at Rosenblatt. Um, and that's a moment that I'll never forget because that ballpark was so cool to me. I mean, I was a fan there, and then I played there in high school and obviously the series, and then I got to to go talk about it for a period of time. Um, so, I, I, but off the cuff, those are a few that, that really stand out.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. Talking about that Whit Merrifield hit, it, it and I know other Gamecock fans feel the same, but it literally gives me goosebumps just thinking about that night and what that, what that meant. I think for this, what it still means, you know, for the school and the university and stuff like that. I'm, obviously, I want to dive in that in just a second, but I think something that's really cool. And, and he was in before, obviously, before you. But Ray Tanner, he, he's been in college. You know, you guys have you, you've probably known who Ray Tanner is your entire career. I mean, he's been coaching yeah. college baseball since you were coming up and. You know, I think he got the South Carolina job in 97, I want to say 96, maybe when he came from NC State. But either way, was there a long time. So you you saw kind of, and I'm sure you kept an eye on it, just covering college baseball and stuff like that. The growth and the, progest- the progression of South Carolina baseball under his leadership going from, you know, a middle of the pack program to when Ray Tanner was there, it was elite. I mean, truly elite year in, year out, a top 10 program every single year. And obviously it culminated with the back-to-back national titles in 10 and 11, and then going in 2012, which is so funny. I, I talked to the guys that played on that team. I'm like, do you ever feel like the forgotten team? Because it's like, just because you didn't win it, everybody forgot you made yeah. it to the final. But uh, you know, j- when you think of Ray Tanner, Kyle, I'll ask you, when you think of Ray Tanner, you know, because obviously he's kind of navigating right now being an athletic director for South Carolina, but when you think of Ray Tanner, the baseball coach, uh, what do you think of?
3: I, first, I think of Ray Tanner, the guy. Mm. And just how genuine he is and how genuine he always was with me (laughs) and, and ultimately how you knew that that played through to his players. Um, because there's, I mean, there's one place that that you can't fool guys and that's in a clubhouse. Mm. You just can't. When you get in that environment, um, everybody can see through the BS if it exists. And, and I always thought Ray had a, a, a really amazing and rare within the, that environment. Um, combination of I would say patience but um, he also knew when to jump a guy and it was done in the right way Um, you know from a tactician standpoint the way that that he ran the game was always as good as whoever was on the other side of the diamond Um, clearly he could recruit but by and large the guys that can recruit especially now I think um, but the guys that can recruit have to have an authentic piece if you're gonna if you're gonna hold it for a period of time I mean, the salesman piece can work for a while, but ultimately people are going to see through it after a while. And there's nothing, there's nothing to see through it with, with Ray. So I, I think it was all those things as a coach. And, and the cool thing for me then and now is getting to know these guys, um, especially if, if they're, you know, playing at a really high level multiple years because they were around them a lot mm. and you get to know the background and their personality and their families and, you have conversations with them that are different than, than you do with many other coaches because really they become friends. And, and there's always an understanding that sometimes I may need to say things or see things during the course of the game that mm. ultimately they may disagree with. And the nice thing for me, and, and I can't recall any individual with Ray, but there's been a few with, with some others that I would compare to Ray as far as accomplishments that those conversations after the fact are always pretty comfortable. Mm. hey man I you know I heard this happened. I heard you said this during the game like to talk, I, want, I want to talk to you about it and I'm going to tell you what we were thinking and why we did it and mm. that our game is unique in that way I think it's very unique especially in talking to those that that cover other sports I, buddy of mine was doing play-by-play for a football game last weekend and, and we were talking about something different and he's like man they wouldn't even tell me who the starting kicker was mm. <laughs> I mean there, there's been times that I go into games that I know what some of the signs are.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, the, the the trust that they put in us, um, which is is earned over time, obviously, and, and it's not across the board, but it definitely happens more in our sport, and, and I think it's one of the things that makes college baseball a rarity. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I, I want to ask you, because I want to get on the field as far as SouthCon and their title run, but I want to kind of go back to the media side of things, because you talked about – you know when you were at Stanford, and you know the whole the whole SEO search engine optimization, but just the way the world has changed, you know, since that point, and especially in media. You know what you do, you, you know you talk about. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, I, I'm only 29, but I, I remember listening to games on the radio too. Like I remember, it's crazy. I remember listening to the 2005 uh, national championship between Texas and Southern Cal on ESPN radio. For why I did that, I don't know, but like I used to enjoy it as well, listening to games on radio. And I remember when. You know, you, you, you couldn't watch a college baseball game for anything. I remember being in my dorm. We were trying to watch South Carolina baseball in 2010, and there would be like these – there was a website, like all these secret streams where I don't know if it was like a guy had a camera in the press box that was just some dude who was an intern at USC, and it was like there was no commentators, there was no scoreboard, but you had a feed. Now you look, every game's on TV. I mean, the SEC Network has changed the game, done a phenomenal job. Every posting, and I'm glad to see it because – I still think college baseball needs more exposure on ESPN. Like, I think it's a great product and people will tune in and watch it. And I think we're seeing that when it's on. But I just want to ask you about how it's changed your job in media and how you've been able to adjust going from, you know, when you started in 2002 to now. I mean, social media and Twitter and, you know, everything is so instant now. Everything, Everybody knows everything immediately. Like, how crazy has it been for you just, like, making those adjustments, seeing all those changes and seeing the evolution sports media as a whole well I'll go
3: back even a little further when I was in college so I mean my my parents still live in Omaha and and Mm. the days that I was pitching they would call KZSU, which was the the campus radio station that was doing our games and they would have them put them on hold Mm. because when they put them on hold they could hear what was on the radio and that was the only way that they could follow the game real time and, and, and hear the game. And the, I mean, the phone bill was astronomical because then there was long distance charges and everything else, but they actually, that's the way that they followed it a lot of times. And, mm. you know, I mean, listen, now that's, I mean, that's 25 years ago. That's, that's a long time ago, but that's what it was then. Mm. And when I got into it again, I mean, my first games were on pay-per-view, like pay-per-view doesn't yeah. really exist anymore when it comes outside of boxing. Um, but the growth from when I started, I mean, the SEC network didn't exist and wasn't even a thought at that time. ESPNU didn't exist. Obviously, ACC network, Longhorn, Pac-12, Big Ten. I mean, whatever it is, none of them existed. And with each of those, the, the college sports landscape got a lot flatter. Um, but through all of that, I would tell you the biggest change has been in the last three years. Um, you know, every SCC school, every ACC school now is a control room on site. Um, our industry has changed forever, especially the last six months. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I've, you know, from my living room, uh, or office, I guess, I mean, this year I've done the major league draft, Korean games, major league games hits on whatever else it would possibly be simply by firing up an iPad and plugging some stuff in. Well, I actually full disclosure, I just somebody else come plug it all in. But, um, <laughs> and that's, that, that's the future. It really is. I mean, Boog and I are calling a a game that's in Dallas from a studio in Bristol with a bunch of monitors in front of us. And, and the reality of what has happened over the last six months is it's worked. Mm. And those of us that, that are doing it kind of look at each other like, gosh, I mean, it's cool that it worked because it's, it allows us to bring sports to everybody, but it's going to change the landscape of the way that, that everyone broadcasts the game mm-hmm. forever. Not, I mean, the good part of that is it gives everybody more flexibility and, you know, the invent of ESPN 3, honestly, mm-hmm. um, of ESPN Plus and these programs that never would have been able to, to have any kind of exposure, not have a ton, the top line programs. They're always going to drive it at the at the top line levels, but just the breadth of coverage right now that can get out there and and really the opportunities for those that are within the space. There's more opportunities, maybe not today, because obviously things have changed in the last six months, but moving forward, there's more opportunities within the broadcasting space than there ever has been.
1: Yeah, I thought what's been cool, you know, Kyle, during the playoffs is you have guys that can call multiple games now because they're not on site, you know, in that city. I think it was Matt Vasgersian. maybe. I think him and his co host were calling a game, and then two, two or three hours later, they're calling another game. And I mean, you want to give more guys opportunities, obviously, to call games, but like he's, he's one of the best, obviously, in the business. One of the, you know, obviously, he's one of the best uh, calling a baseball game. It's just, it's cool that, you know, you can have guys call multiple games in a day. And I'm sure it's probably pretty exhausting, as you can attest to, but it, it is cool. I think it's changed the game in, in regards to that dynamic for sure.
3: It totally has. I mean, I did it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, there never would have been a situation to where you get up in in the morning and and I think – I mean, my first game was at 4 o'clock and I had the A's and the Astros and we got done and I walked down the hall and grabbed a sandwich and a cup of coffee and I walked back down the hall and (laughs) did the first game with Dave O'Brien, did the second game with Boog and walked into the studio, filled my lineup card out. Mm. We do the, the, the Dodgers and the Padres last night. Like you never would have even considered that because everybody would have been on site last week Mike Petriello, Jason Benetti, and I did the some playoff stuff on ESPN+. Plus and, and, you know, one day we were on for eight hours straight doing a whip-around show because there was five games going on at once. At one mm. point. That, that's never happened before. There's a lot of that's never happened before, but back mm. to the point of, and then it worked. Yeah. Now, does it work? There's nothing like being on site. You can never right, replace right. that. I mean, we're fortunate in, in that when I'm in studio now, you know, we've got our game feed and then we've got a feed that shows the entire field and we've got a feed that shows each bullpen. When I'm at home, I don't have that. The only thing that I generally have is what everybody is seeing on TV. That's hard Hmm. because you're literally reacting to everything. You can't really get out in front of anything because you can't see the field. When we're there, you can see things happen. Like out of the corner of your eye, you can see an infielder move three steps to one side. You can see a coach come out of the dugout and move his defense a little bit. You can see the subtleties of a hitter in the box right before something happens, not totally dependent upon a director and what shot they're going to take. And I think that's the biggest challenge that, that we have right now. Yes, there's flexibility, which is cool. I mean, I would be shocked if, if, um, when we have college baseball back and ideally it's next year and it looks like it will be, I'm sure there's days that I'll do South Carolina, Florida at one Mm. and I'll do LSU Ole Miss at seven. Like that, that I think that's going to become a reality. Mm-hmm. It's cool. And and the nice thing about it is um, on those days, I can take my kids to school um, and some days I can actually put them to bed and I, I will have done two games. Like there, there's positives to this thing too. There's a lot of positives to it, but not being on site definitely limits our ability to see everything.
1: For sure. So I, I talked about a little bit earlier, Kyle, but South Canada's run 2010, to 2012, Back-to-back national champs, you go three straight years. And I, I want to throw some records out here for you, Khan. I'm sure you already know these. Uh, South Carolina holds the NCAA tournament record for consecutive NCAA tournament wins with 22. Consecutive College World Series win was 12. And consecutive home, home NCAA tournament wins with 30. I want to ask you about that run. You know, just just seeing it, because, I mean, again, as a fan, it was – it was crazy to watch, and it's not taking anything away from the guys, obviously, because those teams were very talented, but those teams put themselves in great positions, and they were the team of destiny, it felt like, a lot of times, but you think of the talent on those baseball teams. I mean, what Michael Roth did in the College World Series is unparalleled. Jackie Bradley Jr., Christian Walker, Whit Merrifield, Scott Wingo, you know, Evan Marzilli. Um, you, know, you, you keep going down the list. I could just keep Matt Price. You could keep going down the list of guys. What was it like? Because, again, you were in Omaha – Seeing this in person, I'm sure you called a lot of their postseason games, super regional games, whatever. What was it like seeing that unfold? And then my second part of the question, which I know what your answer is going to be, is there any chance that those records will ever be broken by anybody else that South Ghana set? Yeah, I'll
3: answer the first one first, and I, I don't I don't see how. Um, and, and really, a lot of it, that's what I think makes that run all that more impressive is when those that they beat and and honestly i don't know who it is off the top of my head but if i were to venture a guess i would say probably i mean sc when dado was there is probably when some of those records go all the way back to Mm -hmm. but when you go back to the 70s and the 80s you know it wasn't nearly as as widespread national believed in sport it was more dominated by the west coast Mm -hmm. um i mean the west coast in the 70s and the 80s was I mean, It was those were the, the more dominant teams year in and year out. And, and I think a lot of it started when Skip came to LSU. Mm. And when Skip came to LSU and changed the way that LSU looked at the game, and then you got new stadiums to start to pop up. And then you get athletic directors that look at it, and it becomes a little bit of an arms race from a facility standpoint. And, and then they care. And it was driven by the SEC. And other programs and other, other conferences don't necessarily like to hear that, but the reality is it was and it made our sport even better because they cared about it so much that others, if they wanted to play the game, had to really care about it too. And others that hadn't before. I mean, I've said this a lot of times, but Kentucky plays in a 45, $50 million baseball stadium and they never played in the college world series. I mean, just think about that. If you go back 15, 20 years, like that statement, people would have been like, what are you talking about? There's no chance that would happen, but it's a reality. And, and so when you look at what, what South Carolina did in that timeframe, what makes it, all the more impressive to me is there were that many programs that cared. There were that many programs that were putting real money into the sport. And yet they were still able to do something that nobody else had done at that time. I think that now you fast forward another 10 years and there's even more programs that are doing that. Um, And really the way that the scholarships are split up is different than it used to be. And so I think that brings a little bit more parity to the sport. Um, Kids are, are understanding that, that, You know, if the ultimate goal is the major leagues, it doesn't necessarily need to go through the absolute top line programs. Just look at the major league rosters that we have in the playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's when you can have that kind of consistency in a, in a game that is not built on three hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, teams are built like the best teams are judged over 60 games, 70 games during the course of a college baseball season. um, Because the, the opportunities for chance over the course of three hours are so many in that game. And yet they were still able to put records like that together against, um, against a, a loaded college baseball environment. So I, I don't see those, I don't see those records going anywhere.
1: For sure. And then you look on the field. I mean, obviously again, you getting to experience it, broadcasting it, calling it, whatever. I kind of want to ask you first on a funny note, did you call the UCLA series with uh, oral Hershizer? Were you, were you in the booth with him or was that somebody else? Uh or were you on field one? maybe. Two thousand ten at uh I was at Rosenblatt. On, I was
3: I was there, I was on the field, so I mean I I, I wasn't in the booth, but yeah, I, I did all okay. the
1: games. Well I wanted to ask you because a lot of counter fans feel this way. Do you know was Oral Hershiser pulling for UCLA? Cause it kinda seemed like that a little bit. It it seemed like he was favoring the UCLA guys a little bit in that series. I know he's a okay. West Coast guy, so I mean makes yeah. sense.
3: Yeah, well I mean Oral with the Bowling green. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, he ended up being an LA guy. based on his success with the Dodgers but so here's what I would consider the ideal game is you get on the Twitter afterwards and both Mm. fan bases don't like
1: you right right that's
3: if both both fan bases don't like you then you probably were pretty balanced (laughs) in what you did that day and and um And the other thing is, is it it gets a lot more active when we're doing games in the SEC because the fan bases care so much more. So, no, I mean, I can say with almost 100 percent certainty that that Oral was Oral was rooting for a quick game. And (laughs) because we generally are when there are those situations and who ultimately won, I don't know if it. If it made much of a difference to him.
1: No, it's it's funny. I, I've uh <clears throat> and I, I love Oral. I love listening to Oral uh call games. He, he's kind of like yourself. I mean, very, very intricate with the game, very in depth detail. I love listening to him call games, but it's funny. I've had a, uh, have had a couple former players on that played on those teams, like, yeah, I think Hersheiser was pulling for UCLA. I'm not hundred percent sure, but they, they just love to throw jabs. But again, I want to ask you just being on the field, seeing it 10, 11, and even twelve, um, Again, I know it's a lot to unpack, but 30,000 foot view. I mean, again, that, that first one really, you know, that first one really sticks out. Because that 11 team, and I've talked to guys, <clears throat> that, that 11 team was really good. I mean, you look at the guys in the major leagues right now, talent all over the place. And I, I talked to Adrian Morales, who was the third baseman on those two teams. I think yeah. best. he said, you know, 11 was very businesslike. You know, we, we expected to win every single game. We knew how good we were. One of those type of deals. In ten, it was different, and I love it because it was like a bunch of scrappy guys. Like it felt like you know they say baseball is a kids' game. It truly felt like a kids' game. It felt like a bunch of kids going towards one goal, and just a bunch of bunch of screwballs out there. You know what I mean? Trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden, you look up. Whit Merrifield gets a base hit to right, and you're the College World Series, uh, you know, champions. You're the national champions, and obviously the first one in school history. And again, I think it did wonders for the university. But like you said, you said you were in the dugout, first base dugout when that happened. I mean, it felt like – I remember when that happened. I remember I didn't even scream, yell, anything. It felt like time stood still there for a second. Unfortunately, I've never been to Omaha, never got to see Rosenblatt, which I hate, and obviously I haven't got to see TD Ameritrade. But, you know, someone – and I'll ask you again, I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, but someone that grew up in Omaha seeing that, just what are your memories, I guess, from South Ghana specifically on the field, getting that first one, then going back to back? I mean, again, something just – Something just so special. And they'll that they, you know, closing out Rosenblatt, opening up TD Ameritrade, no team will ever be able to say that. And I mean, again, just memories from that run that South kind of had.
3: Yeah, and, and I gotta apologize. Like I I, I have a <clears throat> a bad sense of remembering or of misrem not misremembering, forgetting certain things that happened during a game after the game happens. I, I compartmentalize it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But um 10, what stands out, I mean I, I, I remember when when they announced Roth or discussed that Roth uh, I believe he started against Clemson, yeah, Clemson I think, and yep. maybe he had started a game the whole year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and listen, like this happens so often in the college world series just because of the contents version. And if you get in the loser's bracket, you got to fight all the way back and, and you end up getting some kid that you're like, I, who is this guy? Like, and you go look at the numbers and, Say, all right, well, I mean, it's been a good run, but there's the, the the numbers just say this isn't gonna work and then it worked. And I don't think it's too big of of, of an overstatement to say that that a lot of what happened with, with South Carolina, both in 10 and, and really the the program run from that point forward, <clears throat> you can really put on Ross' shoulders. Mm-hmm. Because if he goes out and gets bombed and he's out in the second inning, we're we may not be talking right now. Right. Um But what he did, and then obviously what he went on to do with the balance of his career, I mean, wits hit, I'll always remember Trevor Bauer was warming up in the bullpen for UCLA at that Mm -hmm. time. Um, You know, this history change of Bauer comes into the game. I don't know, but he didn't. The following year, and I don't remember the specifics of this, but I know that Wingo was involved. Um, I was in the third base dugout during this game, and I I don't remember who they were playing. The Florida Series there was a defensive play that Wingo made that ultimately changed the course of that entire game. And I remember that dugout just absolutely going electric and there's times during the course of those games. That's I mean, I didn't like being on the field just because you didn't have the flexibility to really analyze and break the things down that you wanted to. But the advantage of being on the field was you felt the emotion unlike anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Cause you're sitting in a dugout, you're sitting on the end of the dugout, you hear things during the course of the game that you can't possibly hear up top. And, and, there are times when you're down there that you just get that feeling like they're going to win and I don't know how they're going to win or what's going to happen to make them win, but they are going to win. And I just had that feeling with South Carolina 11 when you're around them. And maybe it goes back to what Morales said about the business-like approach and what it was, but 10, you didn't know. I mean, they really hadn't submitted anything at that point. 11, you're like, they're going to win. Like I don't know how they're going to do it or necessarily who's going to do it today, but they are going to win. And, you know, I think Ray's a big part of that. Just the way that that he allowed those guys flex some flexibility to be themselves and to have some personality come out, and, and to let the leaders lead. And the best coaches do that. They know the time to take their hands off the wheel and say, "You know what? I got the right dudes, and you guys go do what you do. We've put you in a right spot. And I'm going to sit back and watch a little bit right now." And I don't think it's easy for coaches to do, but I think Ray was pretty good at that too. The times that that uh, you know you got the right guys, you know you got the right personalities, just go out and, and let them go and. I mean, hell, that's how you went back to back, because you, you can't solely do it because you're better than everybody else. The 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 game is the game is too random sometimes for that to happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think you look at a guy like Roth, I mean, kind of a the class clown of the group, if you will, but they had that perfect dynamic, like you said, in the ballas yeah. in the locker room. It was just those guys made it work. They made it mesh and and they played for one another, and you could see that on the field. I, I want to ask you, cause I know over the years, for sure, like you said, you, you get to know these guys on a bit of a personal level. You become friends. And we talked to Ray Tanner a little bit earlier. And, you know, you don't have to really go into detail. But I just want to ask you Were you surprised when Ray Tanner announced his retirement after 2012? Because you went to three straight College World Series finals. And I know that, you know, some South Carolina fans, I'll even say, I think maybe Ray left with a little bit left in the tank. I would have loved to have seen what he could have done with, for example, that 13 team. I and mean, just all the other teams, you know, because you look at the talent that came in you know, or came in right as he retired. I mean, Grayson Greiner, Joey Pancake. I mean, a bunch of, you know, Jordan Montgomery, who's with the Yankees. I mean, yeah. you know, tons of talent. Now, the Talent was certainly not a deficiency. But did it surprise you at all that Ray Tanner decided to, you know, take on a new challenge, to take the uh, athletic director position in South Carolina?
3: He had mentioned something to me in 12. Um, and there's some similarities to actually to when Ray left and when Pat Casey left Oregon State. And so did it surprise me? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it surprised me because um, they were so good and he had had so much success. And I think that in any walk of life, we're automatically wired to think, well, if somebody's having success and they're just going to continue to do it until they don't have success, I guess some of the coaches that I appreciate the most are those that that walk away right after they've had success for, you know, they want to get involved in other things from a, personal standpoint professional standpoint they they want to spend some more time with their kids um you know I I had some conversations with Pat Casey right before he he retired and I remember I saw him on the field and I mean I don't know it was the year ultimately that he decided to retire but he looked tired and it was before one of the games in the finals and I walked up to him and and it was just me and him and there's no microphones around and I just looked at him and said man you look tired are you all right And he said, I am tired. He goes, you know what? I've had my feet in the dirt for 40 years, and this thing's a grind. And you could just feel from Pat at that point that the day-to-day grind and the recruiting piece and everything else that goes along with it was was a lot. And and I have to think that there's some of that that went into it with Ray, too. I mean, building what he did at NC State and then ultimately – Seeing everything else through South Carolina, he went to national titles, he built a new ballpark, which he was intimately involved in every step of. Which I mean, what the fences look like, what the sight lines look like, everything about it. I, the way that he would describe that design process and how involved it was, and how involved he was, was something that I always really enjoyed hearing him talk about. And, um, you know, he, he never said as much, but I think it's easy to assume at this point that running an athletic department was something that he wanted to do, and he knew he had a great opportunity to do it there. So, Surprised, yes, because I think we're all ultimately surprised when somebody steps away when they're at the peak of their profession. Um, but also, I, I respected the move a ton. Mm-hmm. Osborne did something pretty similar at Nebraska when he stepped away. And, and, you know, that was always the one that stood out the most when you live in, in Nebraska because Nebraska was still Nebraska when Tom Osborne retired. South Carolina was South Carolina when Ray Tanner mm-hmm. retired. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of respect that needs to go with that.
1: For sure. Before we get into current day Carolina baseball, because I certainly want to ask you about that. I know I'm a little bit biased in this, but I, I think there's certainly an argument to be made. Carolina Clemson baseball, best rivalry in college baseball in your opinion, or is there another one that sticks out?
3: I'm not good with best because I think there's <laughs> one of the of best. best, one of the best. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. One of the best. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are, I've done a few of those I've done a few of those in the post season. I mean, it seemed like every year they were matching them up in, in a super. And, and at that time, it seemed like every year they were going to have to come to Columbia if that was mm. the case, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of them. I, I mean, you go across the country. I'm trying to think of some others that that would otherwise stand out. I mean, Florida state, Miami is always going to be there. There's mm. in any sport that's got a ton um Texas and A&M when they were really going and, and both still in the Big 12. I think that had some too. But yeah, I mean, Carolina, Clemson has to be on that top five list of of any list. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I want to ask you again, current day, and, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying before about, you know, Mark Kingston's going to be coming in his fourth season. Obviously, unfortunately, everybody got their season robbed this past spring because of the pandemic and stuff like that. And I, I was excited to see how it would play out, you know, in his third year. I really thought they had a team that could compete in the SEC, but It kind of goes back, Kyle, to what you said that, you know, everybody cares now. Everybody has a nice state. You know, when South Carolina built Founders Park, I mean, I still say it's one of the best ballparks in the country, but maybe it doesn't stand out the way it used to because now everybody has. I mean, you look at what Mississippi State's done with the dude. It's insane. That ballpark is nuts. But everybody's got a nice ballpark, especially in the SEC. Everybody cares about college baseball. South Carolina right now with Mark Kingston again going in his fourth season. I want to ask you about Kingston in a second, but. Carolina's fighting to get back to what they were in 10 to 12. And I say that, listen, for fans, that, that run is probably never realistically going to happen again. I mean, that, that was an unprecedented run. The best teams, like you said, the game is too random. The best teams in the country don't win even back to back college World Series. Heck, they hardly even go back to back years. So, Carolina baseball is fighting a very interesting battle right now. They're in a really interesting position. I know that fans don't like it. I, I'm not, I don't love it, obviously, because. When I think of Carolina baseball, I think of Ray Tanner. I think of winning. I think of being one of the best programs in the country. Now you're fighting against Georgia, who seems to have everybody throwing 99 now. Florida is Florida. Vandy is Vandy. You've got LSU, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Even the bottom, quote-unquote, bottom-tier teams in the SEC, they're not pushovers. Missouri's getting better. You talk about Kentucky, their ballpark, and what they did a few years ago. Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee could be a guaranteed sweep for South Carolina. Now it's like, that's a battle. You look at Garrett Crochet who's already in the big league. Yeah. South Ghana when they when the uh, when the pandemic rolled through, that was going to be South Ghana's opening SEC series and they were going to face Garrett Crochet. So I'm kind of mad I didn't get to see that honestly. But just talk about SEC baseball as a whole cuz to me it's just crazy like I said. I mean not to take anything away from those guys in 10, 11, 12 whatever, but it used to be like, I remember when Georgia was terrible, you know, and I remember Georgia was just yeah. a joke of a program. And like I said, that was one of those series for Carolina where you're looking at the schedule and like, that's easy. Two of three might even sweep Alabama, easy two of three might even sweep Tennessee. Same thing. Now I feel like every single team in the sec is good, at least a good quality team. They might not show it record wise, but even those teams at the bottom of the standings, like the, the, the conference is just so loaded across the board. and It's kind of interesting, again, now that South of baseball, that's sort of the battle, not just them, but everybody in that conference is fighting right now, is trying to come out on top of that when the conference is just so loaded across the board.
3: Well, the depth is insane, and all you got to go, I mean, go look at major league rosters and compare the number of players from the SEC against any other conference that's out there. And, and I mean, you, you hit on a lot of the things that I would have hit on in the answer and, and there aren't off weekends. And I think that's the biggest thing when you talk to coaches that come into the league for the first time, like they they know the big names, Mm -hmm. what they don't realize is when you got Kentucky coming in over the course of the weekend, they may roll a first rounder or two out there for you. I mean, James (laughs) Paxton was in Kentucky not that long ago and, and Kentucky wasn't very good as a club then, but you're facing a big leaguer. Um, and really every weekend, it feels like you're facing a big leaguer or two and some weekends you're facing three in a row. I mean, some of the the staffs that, that Florida and Vanderbilt have run out there in the last few years, you are facing a major league pitcher three straight days over the course of the weekend. Dane Dunning never really threw on the weekend for Florida when he was there. Dane Dunning pitched in the major league playoffs this year. He was a first rounder and he wasn't even a weekend guy for most of the time that he was there. So I think that the depth, yes, the commitment, and obviously with commitment generally is going to get you depth because more guys want to be in that environment. But I think that's what gets overlooked in the conference. It's starting to happen with more conferences too. I mean, the ACC, those that that people used to laugh at in the ACC, they don't anymore. Like Duke is a program that you don't want to screw with right now. Duke really has it going. Boston College has some really positive things that are going on there. I mean, Virginia, before Brian O'Connor got there, had – next to no baseball history and and now brian's got a national championship and a new stadium and so i there's no conference that that is more apparent than within the sec just because of of what coaches tell me and really what your eyes tell you when when you go watch the game everybody has talent do the top teams have more talent yeah yeah they do they've got more depth but but everybody has guys that can beat you now everybody
1: For sure, I, I want to talk to you about Mark Kingston, but really on that note, because Kingston, a guy I, I'm a big fan of, he's a, he's obviously a baseball guy. You listen to him talk, and anybody that Ray Tanner handpicks to run his program, I feel pretty good about. I, I feel pretty good in that decision. But one thing about Kingston, he is very much, and you've seen baseball go towards this. It's very analytics driven now. You know, spin yeah. rate, launch angle, those. T- you know, when when again when you were playing that that was none of it. That that didn't exist. No. Are you? What do you? Feel, how do you feel about analytics? Because like you, you go to a you know. I talked about you know off air. I was going to the inner squads last uh, last fall and this past spring, whatever. And I'm sure every a lot of schools are like this. On the scoreboard, they actually have after every pitch, after every at bat, they have the statistics live: spin rate, velocity, again, launch angle, whatever. What are your thoughts on analytics? Like, are you a big analytics guy? Are you more old school? Are you sort of a mix of the two? Because we've, we've seen all these stats, kind of like war is one of the examples of stats. And yeah. I know baseball is a stat-driven game, but I know some guys that they're maybe a little, more, little bit more old school. And they don't really like diving in those numbers like spin rate. And I, I think there's certainly advantages to that. But where do you fall? Do you fall one side or the other, kind of somewhere in the middle? What are your thoughts on it?
3: Well, I, I would tell you this. If, if you don't have an understanding of it, the game's going to pass you by really quick. And I think what gets lost in, in the discussion is for so long. And and those walls are coming down thankfully now, Mm. but there was, it was like the Republicans and the Democrats, like there's (laughs) no, there's no in between and and you're either a data guy or you're not a data guy. Well, Mm. I don't care what you do. I don't know why you wouldn't want more information in anything. I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a banker, I want to know, the best way that i can go out and do business and you do that in, in any business mm. baseball is no different i mean why wouldn't you want information the challenge and what gets lost in it is those that that um, that have the ability to interpret the information and i've talked to mark about this um, i've talked to skylar about it a fair amount on, on the pitching side but it's one thing to have the information the other is how do you actually use it to benefit your kids and and to to distribute it and explain it in a way to where they understand, okay, this is what this means, whatever this is. We talked about this last night on the air with Boog. And one of maybe the most interesting pitching conversation I've ever had was a few years ago with Wes Johnson. Wes is now the pitching coach for the twins, but at the time was a pitching coach for Arkansas. And Hmm. John Cohen had told me when Wes was at at Mississippi state, he said, listen, you got to go, you got to know this guy because his understanding of track man and the way that it's utilized is, is different to the point that TrackMan calls him and says, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? So I called Wes and we were doing an Arkansas series and said, Hey, can, can I come down a day early and can I just sit with you for an hour? And can you explain to me how you use this? Cause my knowledge of it was very limited at that time. And, and in an hour, Wes explained to me, And the basics of it are very simple, and I think it's this way with any level of analytics in the game, that you're trying to find what someone does best that's a departure from the norm and have them do it more. So that's simple, especially when you're on the mound. And and Wes had an innate ability to take data and then interpret that back to players and say, okay, I know that your whole life they told you you're a two-seam sinker slider guy. But the reality is, is the data says your four-seamer is elite, and this is why it's elite, and this is why guys aren't going to hit it. Um, so really it's, it's just quantifying what our eyes and many times have told us. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, the guy that had the four seam fastball, they'd always talk about the ball rising. Well, it doesn't rise. It just doesn't drop as much as others do, mm. but you're going based on a, a hitter's reaction and what a catcher told you, because you didn't have any numbers to go with it. Um, so I, I think that, that you, you, have to utilize it at this point. Kids are utilizing it. I mean, they're growing up around it. Yeah. You got 14, 15, 16 year old kids that have rap soda machines, in their backyard that understand all these things. So if, if you as a coach or a coaching staff or whoever it is, don't start to embrace this stuff, the game is going to pass you by because the kids that you're recruiting, they're going to demand that it's there in some time. Clearly at the major league level has changed, changed the major league level significantly. Um, so I'm, I'm all in for it. I, I, I just, it bothers me when people are one or the other, you can be both. In fact, you, the, the best are both. You have to be both. You have to understand right. what the analytics mean. And then know that sometimes, you know what, it may be time to play a hunch. Um, my eyes are telling me something during the course of the game that, that maybe the data didn't tell me coming in. And the ability to distinguish between those two is is rare, but it's it's something that, that the top line managers and I think the top line college coaches almost across the board have the ability to do now.
1: Now you mentioned Mark Kingston. I want to talk specifically on him because you know the South Carolina baseball job is not the easiest. Kyle's, I'm sure yeah. you can imagine. It ate up Chad Holbrook, obviously, because of just because of the expectations. You never want to be the guy that follows up the legend, and I think that's kind of where Holbrook fell. As far as people were expecting South Carolina to match the success that Ray Tanner had in that 10 to 12 run, it's just not. It's not feasible. Um, I think Mark King, Kingston's done some good things. You know, took a team that maybe shouldn't have been there to the Super Regionals. You were a game away from Omaha in year one, yeah. you know, lost in Fayetteville to Arkansas. 2019, the injury bug hits. I mean, Carmen Majinski, your top-line guy, who was a first-rounder, he goes down, started the season. I think it really just derailed any hope in the nineteen season. And then this past season, obviously, gets taken away. I thought South Carolina baseball was going to do some nice things. I thought they were going to battle, probably be a 500-club in SEC ball, which which is very good, I might add. A 500-club in the SEC is a very good baseball team, would probably host a regional but I want to get your take specifically on Mark Kingston, a guy who has seen a ton of success. You know, I think he was on staff, so I believe at Tulane and Miami that were in the College World Series. You know, had a great yeah. stint at USF. Um, you've had conversations with him. Just talk about your takeaways from Mark Kingston. How you feel about him as South Carolina's head baseball coach? Because again, I know you know fans are very tough right now. You know, they have sort of a, it's kind of a mixed bag if you talk to fans again because the expectations are so high. I like Kingston again. Like I said, I feel like he's a baseball guy. You listen to him talk about the game and I think he's going to have a ton of success, but again, just talk about your, your relationship with Kingston how you feel about him as a baseball coach and leading the South kind of program.
3: Well, I love him as a, as a baseball guy and as a baseball coach. I remember I had him against Florida a few years ago. Um, I don't know if it was 19 or 18, I don't remember, but. They were taking batting practice, I believe it was Thursday night. It was the night b- before the series. And, and he had the pitching machine about 42 feet away from home plate, dialed up about as fast as it would go because they were going to face big-time velocity the entire weekend. And, and they were trying to simulate big-time velocity as best as they possibly could. And, and, you know, many times batting practice is like, you know, guys working on stuff and, and you got to – I mean, they're, they're – it, it is not a, I would say, a competitive environment. I mean, batting practice is, is you know, sometimes the time to show off a little bit, sometimes the time to, to work on swing kicks. This was, hey, this is what we're going to face this weekend, boys, and we better get ready for it because, <laughs> I mean, I, I can throw you all the 72-mile-an-hour the batting practice you want, but the reality is you're going to have to hit, hit this this weekend. And mm. Listen, I don't remember what the what the outcome ultimately was, but the thought and the approach and the preparation was something that, that really stood out to me with Mark. You talked about the analytics. I've talked to him about that. I think Skyler from a, from just a pitching mind standpoint, his ability to utilize analytics is, is a guy that, that is a riser within this, this sport for sure. So it makes for a really good combination. Um, You know, I do think Mark got cut into a situation to where, uh, especially at that program, but within that league about anywhere, you you feel like you got to win now and, and maybe you, you know, are you building enough with with high school kids? <clears throat> Do you feel like you got to go out and get more JUCO kids because you got to fill more gaps immediately? And man, if if we go twelve and eighteen in the league next year, mm. you know, like I don't know how much rope I have, and and that's a that's a really hard place to be in, I think, as a head coach. So that balance is a difficult balance. Um, you know, they were off to a decent start last year too. The power numbers are pretty good across mm. the board. You had a healthy Bajinski, you were going to get a, a chance to, to spin through the SEC with a legitimate ace, which you need that league. You just do. You need a one because if you don't have a one, man, you're down one nothing most weekends going into Saturday. And that ain't comfortable. Um, so, uh, listen, I, I, I think that that he's a guy that, that definitely fits there. Um, you can see a, a path to, to success, but it's no different than LSU. How. Dude, it's still different than growing up Nebraska football in the in the mid-90s. It really isn't. I mean, Frank Solich replaced Tom Osborne. Frank Solich is a hell of a football coach. and Replacing Tom Osborne, I don't care who you were, it probably gonna, wasn't going to work. And I think it was that way for Chad, who I respect. Chad's a friend. Um, I, I, You know, if, if Chad had to do it all over again, do you take that job again? Yeah, you still probably do, because you get a chance to be the head coach in South Carolina. But, man, is, was that a – tough spot to be in. I think Mark does have an advantage of being the next guy up. I really do. I, I yeah. think that expectations have been tempered a little bit. Uh, they're not back to the crazy point that they were before. And, and it gives them a little bit more freedom to build a program instead of feel like I got to win every game. Hmm.
1: Now, I, I won't ask you specifics as far as, you know, because we're so far out from the season as far as picks, projections, but what are some pieces that stand out for you on this Carolina baseball team? Because like I said, you lose Carmen Majinski, but I, I thought South Carolina because of everything that happened with the short MLB draft, hmm. you know, five rounds, you get Thomas Farr to come back. You get Brandon Jordan to come back. That's a legitimate one-two in my mind, especially I think Farr is going to be and you know, Kyle, you could probably attest to that. I think Farr is going to be the first couple of rounds. Dre. I mean, he got those 97, 98, the stuff is there, you know, big right-hander. You like the bill. Brandon Jordan's 92, 93 with a lot of sync on his stuff, really repeatable delivery. And then, as far as the lineup, and every team is benefiting from this as far as getting guys that would have gone to the draft most likely to come to school, like the one that jumps out to me, Brandon Fields, the young outfielder that I think he's going to be in the starting outfielder, outfield for South Carolina this year. But you think of Wes Clark Returns, who was leading the SEC in home runs. You think yeah. Brendan Malone is a name that I think people are going to get very familiar with. Like I think he is the next great Carona Slugger, All-American caliber player. Um, Brady Allen, Andrew Eister, like you have some nice pieces there just – Talk about pieces on this team to you for South Carolina baseball that you've gotten to see or maybe Mark has talked about that stand out to you as guys that you're going to be watching for in 2021.
3: Well, I mean, full disclosure, I I don't know. Um, I didn't see him last year. Mm. And, I I mean, I didn't see him at all last year. About the time we were going to start traveling, well, not about the time, it was the time. I, I was halfway to Gainesville to do Florida Georgia when all this craziness started. Right turned around the Atlanta airport and came home. So you can talk to those guys a lot better than I can, because you've, <laughs> you've actually seen them. I, I would have liked to have seen Majinski make one more spin through that yep. league just because of the raw stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, listen, a, a guy like Clark that comes back that had the power that he did last year. I think that's something that, that, that becomes immediately projectable. Cause it's, it's the hardest thing for me to project from a player coming in is how power is going to translate as the stuff gets better and it doesn't mean it necessarily would have translated when he got in the league i mean that's the that's the ultimate equalizer in that league is sometimes out of league the arms don't look the same way as they do when you get into the sec so i mean as far as specifics i, I you know i i really can't talk to it mm-hmm. about because the last time i really saw him was two years ago right um and a lot of those guys aren't back i i didn't see him play last year um but i i, I would just tell you this i mean the recruiting classes. is at least that that you read about them, have have continued to get better. And and I think for everybody, not just South Carolina, there's an advantage that you get some guys back and some guys on campus that you otherwise wouldn't have.
1: For sure. Well, Kyle, you've been gracious with your time. I'm going to get you out of here, obviously. But last question really quickly, and, and this one might be a tough answer because it's kind of broad, but I just want to get your take. Your favorite baseball memory as a whole. Like, is there one moment interaction? Because I have to imagine you've met so many cool people as far as players, coaches. I'm sure you've met Hall of Famers, like, you know, broadcasters, you name it. Like, is there one interaction, one conversation, one moment that you feel like impacted you in a positive way that you kind of look back on and say that had a positive impact on me and is one of the reasons I'm where I'm at today? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, I know it's a tough question I in it with a fastball
3: (laughs) yeah no that's fine so I mean this name isn't going to mean probably anything to most people that are listening to this but Dean Stotts was a recruiting coordinator at Stanford Dean Stotts came into my living room when I was 17 years old so Stanford sent their questionnaire one of the questions on the Stanford questionnaire was can you afford to come to Stanford if you don't receive financial assistance and I didn't ask my parents. I just checked yes because if I checked no, I thought it may hurt me. And Stanford ends up recruiting me, and Stats is sitting in our living room when I'm 16, 17 years old, whatever it was. And and he brings that up and says, You know, we sent this questionnaire out, and Kyle checked that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need financial assistance. And this is the way that we put a roster together. And I remember my dad stared a hole in me, like, What in the (laughs) hell did you do? And Dean, during the course of that, looked at me and said, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if you'll ever play for us. I don't know um but i do know that we'll give you the opportunity to compete and if if you're better than everybody else you're going to get a chance to be on the field and it motivated me mm-hmm. in a way that that anyone else that had recruited me more of it was you know we think you're going to come in right away and do this and do that his was and i think some of it was meant to challenge but but some of it was just brutal honesty which i then learned over the years is what dean was the absolute best at and it it started a relationship that um was with the the man that taught me the most about the game of baseball of, of anybody in my entire life he saw the game different the game spoke to him and I was fortunate because the days that I wasn't pitching I got to sit right next to him on the bucket listen to him the entire game because he was calling pitches and talking through it and I learned more in those three years sitting next to him than I ever learned on a field mm. um, <clears throat> just seeing the way the guys move pre-pitch and is that tipping something from a pitch standpoint Watching hitters and the way they hold their hands and how it changes during the bat, and where are they in the box and why are they there in a the box and watching guys during batting practice? What are they working on in batting practice? So they're working on something that probably means that they're not doing it very well right now. So if that's the case, does that give us the ability to expose it during the game? And all that came from Dean. And, and it, it really goes back to him sitting in my living room telling me, I don't know if you're ever going to play for me. Mm. And that statement never left me of any time I was ever on a field, that statement never left me. And, and uh, he ended up being probably the most, not my father, but the most influential male baseball figure in my life. And he still is today.
1: It's Awesome stuff. Well, Kyle, like I said, I really appreciate you being gracious with your time. I, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And like I said, it's, it's awesome to talk to somebody that, you know, we've been listening to watching for years and you do a fantastic job, obviously the way, like I said, you call the game and, Really, I feel like you immerse the baseball fan. Make, <clears throat> you make them feel like they're in the dugout on the field. So continue to you know, keep up the great work, obviously. Let everybody know just where. I mean, obviously, you're on ESPN radio right now calling Major League Baseball playoffs. But if you want to kind of throw out your Twitter out there, like where you'll, you know, how people can tune into you, I guess. Because I'm sure there are people out there that, that want to tune in to hear your voice or see your face or whatever it may be. I mean, this let, let everybody know, I guess, where they can follow along so they'll know kind of what games you're calling and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, well, I can promise you they're not tuning in to see my face. So <laughs> that i figured out
1: over time. Hey, just want to give um, you the benefit of the doubt.
3: <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so I'm with Boog the next few days on on
1: uh,
3: on the Dodgers-Padre series. So as long as that goes, we're the it appears that we're the late game every night. We're on it at, uh, at 9 Eastern tonight. Uh, and then I'll get back on the KBO bandwagon a little bit towards the end of the year. So we'll do that all the way through the playoffs and then cross our fingers and Absolutely. hope that – that we're talking about a college baseball season next year. And, and I know that I'll probably be doing a lot of those from home, but I don't much care. Um, I can't wait to get back into a baseball stadium. Though. I can tell you that it's been way too
1: long. Yeah, no, same here. Same here. I can't wait for the college world series either to get back as well, but no, appreciate it, Kyle. Like I said, we'll have to definitely do it again uh, next yeah. season as we get into college baseball season. And like I said, thank you for being gracious with your time, man. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. He's Kyle Peterson. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of The Series Show. Show.